Here's what I'd like you to do right now, right now, folks, is I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians in the New Testament, the letter to the Colossians, uh, the first chapter. Uh, if you have a piece of paper, I'd like for you to get a piece of paper. There's going to be some things that we're going to talk about today that you, know, you may want to write down. They're very important when we talk about God's grace. But we're going to be continuing in our series about our life with Christ. And that's really the whole focus through the book of Colossians. Because I'll be very honest with you, as I, I look at where we are today in North American Christianity, you know, we have a lot of stuff that's out there that's labeled itself as Christian, and this is what we need to be doing. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of it is, is a simply a, just a moral code to follow, and, and I'm not against moral codes because we are to be moral people, but Christianity is more than that. Christianity is more than simply a service to attend. You know, we say that. It's more than a service here. It's, it's more than that. It's your relationship with God and interacting with others who have that relationship, which is the church. And with that, you and I need to have a really an accurate, correct concept from the Scripture as far as what it is to have a life with Christ. Because so many things that are out there confuse us, and we measure ourselves by, by things that are not accurate as far as where we are. If you, in fact, if you think about it, we talked just a few weeks ago that Paul looked at them and knew that they were where they should be as believers because of two things were evident in their life. Love for the saints and what? Their faith, their commitment and trust in Jesus. Not just their belief. Faith goes beyond just simple belief. Faith is a commitment and a trust in Jesus that is evident in your life and how you live your life and how you react to life. And so this is what we're doing with this series. We're trying to help us to understand the life that we have in Christ. So last week we looked at this whole issue of several things that Paul was praying for them that were growth areas. Things that he was praying that God would produce growth in their life about. Now, what we want to do today is talk about what is the basis for that growth? And see, that's where the confusion comes from. That's where the misunderstanding happens. It's because so many of us have reduced the Christian life down to a ritualistic life. As long as I'm doing that, I'm okay. As long as I'm doing this, I'm going to grow. And, and we miss it. And so I've got a couple of points I want to make here about that. Okay, so here's the first one that I want you to see. Believers tend to be confused about spiritual growth. In fact, we, a lot of times we don't even talk about it. For most of us, we don't even have a concept that we should be growing spiritually. We, we have this concept that I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm going to be with it, go with Jesus when I die, and in between that, whatever happens. But here's the reality. You're talking about entering into a relationship with the living God. And it's true with that relationship as it is with human relationships. You can never stay the same in a relationship. Do you understand me? You may want to write that one down. You can never stay the same in a relationship. 
you need to continually be growing in order for that relationship to flourish. That is true in your relationship with God. But the problem is, is we're confused. We're confused about what spiritual growth is. We, we reduce spiritual growth down to how often I attend or how much I give or how much I volunteer or how much I read my Bible or how much I pray. Folks, that's not a relationship. That's a list of things you're doing. Relationships go much further than that. You don't look at your marriage that way. How much did I take the garbage out? How much did I help with the meal? How much did I help with the laundry? Did I take care of that project? That's not how you measure a relationship. So believers tend to be confused about spiritual growth. Here's the second thing. The confusion is a direct result of not understanding your salvation. Bottom line, for most believers, their concept of salvation is, is that I'm forgiven, I prayed this prayer, he's forgiven me, and I'm going to go to be with Jesus in the future, and that's it. They don't have any other concept of what's taking place in their life when they come to know Jesus. They might know, well, I know the Holy Spirit entered me, some know that, some don't, but they don't. They don't go beyond that. In fact, for most, they operate with this assumption, okay, I'm saved in that way, but then it's for me to figure out how I'm going to live the rest of my life. But that's not it at all. That is not what's conveyed. Salvation goes simply beyond just forgiving you and giving you a new place later on. There's a whole lot more to it that you and I need to be aware of. In fact, if we were aware of it, we would be blown away. Because when you realize what salvation does, you realize who you were without it, and that impacts who you are right now. And see, when you have that understanding of salvation, out of it comes the growth. Now, here's the wonderful thing about the growth. The growth doesn't take place because you're doing something. Yes, there's something you and I need to do, but the growth takes place because of what he's doing in your life. That's the reality. Paul expresses that when he is confident that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. God is the one who's working in your life. Now, now how do we get there? How do you and I get to the place where we realize what he's done for us. And I think we do that by understanding the scripture, and that's what our whole purpose is today, is to understand three verses. Now, we're going to look at verse 12 again, but we're also going to add to that verses 13 and 14. And so let's, let's look at these together. It'll be up on your screen and let's see what Paul is saying to the Colossians as well as to you and I. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us 
from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now here's what we're going to do, folks, for the rest of our time. We're going to take these three verses, and I'm going to share with you what I'm entitling this section as the grace of God. The grace of God. Now, grace, what is that? Unmeritorious favor is the theological definition. Here, here's a George Cannon definition. It's getting what you don't deserve. Okay, did you hear me? Getting what you don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. There is nothing good about you. I don't care what family you grew up, how much education you have, what kind of bank account you have, how many virtuous, wonderful things you're doing, how much you're keeping away from bad stuff. It doesn't really matter about that. It's grace. You and I don't deserve it. He shows it to us, and he explains that right here in these three verses. In fact, he starts out this verse giving thanks. He's expressing thanks. That's a growth area because of what God has done through Jesus for us. And so I really want to stress five things here that come out of these verses. So let's look at the first one, okay? The first one is this. From verse 12, he says this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now here's what I want you to see. The Father has qualified us to have a part in the inheritance of God's people. That's the first thing. That's the first powerful thing. Now, I'll be honest with you. At first, and many times I've read that, it kind of went over my head. But if you stop for a moment and think about it and you realize what he's talking about, it'll blow you away. What do you mean? Because of Jesus, because of the salvation that you and I have experienced, Paul is saying the Father, God the Father, has qualified us. Now, everybody understands qualifications, right? In order for you to get to a certain job level, you need to be qualified, either have the education or the experience. Or if you're, if, if you're a NASCAR guy or if you're watching a race, in order for you to compete... You have to qualify, that is, meet a certain standard in order to be a part of it. Now, here's the point. You and I have to be qualified in order to in be a part of the inheritance of God's people. Now, the problem is, at one time, you and I weren't qualified. This is what most people don't understand. Everybody has this concept today that everybody's going to heaven. Woo! Everybody's going to heaven unless you are really bad. You're going to heaven. That is not true at all. And that's especially true for Gentiles. Because we were never the children of the promise. Who were the children of the promise? Israel. We had no share in their promises. And so now because of salvation, we have been qualified to partake in that inheritance. In fact, that's what Paul talks about a little bit further in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. Look at what it says on the screen there. 
Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Do you see what I'm saying there, folks? Let me, let me kind of go through those scriptures again. It should be on your screen. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh. Look at what he's saying there. You and I were once Gentiles in the flesh. We were going to hell who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision. That is, we were called uncircumcision by the Jews. You were without Christ. You had no Messiah, no hope. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers. We were aliens. We had no part in the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, here's the wonderful thing. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you, do you see what's going on here? The Father has qualified you and I to have an inheritance now. You now have an inheritance. You know, in fact, I'll be honest with you. We have this concept of heaven. It's, it's so much more than that. We just call it heaven, but it's not. We have a part in the promises of what God has for here and ultimately in the new heaven and the new earth when we are in the new city. We have a part in that because of our salvation. Not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done for us. That's the first one. If that doesn't blow you away, hopefully this next one will. Okay, Look with me. At verse 13, he says this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Here's what I want you to see. The Father has delivered you from the power of darkness. What's the power of darkness? Folks, the power of darkness is the evil one, Satan. Now, here's the thing. You're probably saying to yourself, whoa, hold on a second, George. You know, I, even when I was a, not a believer, I didn't sell my soul to the devil. Have you heard this crazy stuff that's out there? It's part of our culture. You can see it on TV. It's been a part of American culture for 200 years. It's been a part of Western cultures for longer. That you can sell yourself to Satan. Folks, you already belong to Satan. He is the God of this world. And what salvation is, is that he delivers you from that power and brings you over into light. You now belong to Christ. Before you were spiritually blinded by him, but now your eyes have been opened by God and you have been delivered from the power of darkness. In fact, listen to what Peter says, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We talked about this earlier by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
Now focus on that last part there. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's the darkness. Because we have been delivered from darkness, you can now say no to sin. The power of sin has been broken. You are no longer being led by the enemy. That's the blessing of salvation. That's grace. That's the basis for growth in your life. In fact, here's the thing. Can I be honest with you? Think about it. One of the greatest hindrances to you and I growing spiritually in our lives is our sin. And we all struggle with it. You don't have to take too long figuring out what sin you're wrestling with. It's the one that besets you. It's the one that you're constantly giving into. Maybe it's a critical spirit. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's some other area. We could go on and on and on talking about what it might be. It's different for every person. But I'm going to tell you right now, you and I, we recognize as believers that that thing that ensnares us is hindering us. But here's the promise. Here's the grace of God. He has delivered you from the spirit of darkness. He has delivered you from the darkness. He has helped you to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. You have that power broken in your life. You can choose to do otherwise. That's the basis for growth in our life, folks. In fact, that brings up the next point that I want you to see here. Look again with me at verse 13. Here's what he says. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Conveyed can also be translated as transferred. Here's what I want you to see. The Father has brought you into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So he took you out of that kingdom where everybody in the world is a part of, that's ruled by their lust, ruled by their fleshy desires, that's guided by Satan, that is guided in a corrupt way. He's taken you from there and put you into a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Son that he loves. He's given you a whole new identity. A whole new identity, which a lot of us need to start grasping because a lot of us don't grasp that. In fact, that's what Peter, again, is mentioning here. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Notice on the screen, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a special people. Why? Because you have been transferred. You were once a part of that kingdom. Now, spiritually, you have been put into the kingdom of light. That's the blessing. That's grace. So, okay, what have we seen so far? So far, we've seen now that we've qualified to be a part of the inheritance that he has for his saints, Awesome. We have been removed from the kingdom of the power of darkness. 
great. We have been now made a part of the kingdom of light. That's awesome too. Here's the next thing I want you to see. We're going to see it now in verse 14. Look at what he says. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. All right, two things I want to fear. Final two things. In whom, talking about Jesus, what is he saying here? Through Jesus, you have been redeemed through his sacrifice. You have been redeemed. What does that mean? Well, I, I think a lot of us are familiar with the illustrations that you were once on the slave markets of sin. You were a slave to sin and Jesus died so that you could be redeemed from that. Yes, that's true. But it's so much more than that. He has provided a whole new purpose and being of who you are. Think about these scriptures to help you to understand. There's a couple that I want you to see here. First of all, 1 Peter, again, going with Peter, 1 Peter chapter 17 through 19. And notice some of the things that he's saying we've already talked about. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conducts yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what he's saying. He's saying in this verse, these verses, that you and I were redeemed not through the stuff that we have, the stuff that we achieve, the stuff that we've acquired, silver and gold, according to what people think you need to do in order to be the right person. You were redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what it means here when it talks about his blood. That was his sacrifice on the cross. That blood sacrifice that paid the penalty for your sin. You were redeemed, not through those corruptible things. And isn't that what we try to focus on? What I'm achieving, what I'm acquiring, what I'm doing, who I am. That doesn't redeem anything. But it's the blood of Jesus. That's what gives you your standing with God. Here's the next section of verses I want you to see. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Again, it's up on the screen for you. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, here's what I want you to see. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? Going to hell, folks. Paying the penalty for our sin. He died so that you and I could be redeemed from that death penalty that we were on. And with that, he gave us what hope in what? The reality of the blessing of Abraham. What's that? The inheritance that I talked to you about earlier that we would have been qualified for. 
that the inheritance might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That's what's awesome here. Through Jesus, you have been redeemed through his sacrifice. Now, here's the second one. We see it again in verse 14. It says this, the forgiveness of sins. So what are we talking about here? Through Jesus, you have been forgiven of your sins. You've been forgiven. Look at these verses. Again, three more verses, three more sections of verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now here, it's talking about, again, like with what he was saying with the Colossians, we have redemption through his blood, that's through his sacrifice. We have the forgiveness of sins and that is according to the richness of his grace. Now, how, how much can we be sure about the forgiveness thing? Because it comes out of the richness of his grace, which is overflowing to you and I. It doesn't cease. Is that not awesome? Here's the next passage. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. Listen to what John writes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Listen, your sins are forgiven not because of you. Your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus and what he did. Do you understand? The basis for forgiveness is not how good a person you are or that you're going to be becoming or what you are now compared to what you were later. It's about Jesus. That's where forgiveness is. And then finally, Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. That's what the forgiveness of sins is. Look, folks, and when we talk about sins... I'm not just talking about the stuff that you know is wrong. I'm talking about the sins that you do without even realizing it. It's the sins of your ignorance. And you know that we sin because we're corrupted. Even our best intentions are corrupted. And we sin. And with that, you have been forgiven through Jesus. Now, all of this, the inheritance, the reality of being removed from the power of sin and being placed in the kingdom of his son, the reality of being redeemed and the reality of having forgiveness of sin, all of this serves as the basis for growth in your life. Did you notice that in this list? It has nothing to do with what you are doing. It has to do with what he has done. Did you grasp that? It has nothing to do with what you are doing or haven't done or what you want to do. It has to do with what he has done on the cross for you. And you rest in that. And he produces growth in your life. He produces spiritual growth. And that relationship grows with Christ. That's where we need to be. That's where we need 
to be. We need to get out of a ritualistic view of Christianity and get back to a relational view that I have a relationship with Jesus and is expressed in my faith and commitment to him and my love for others. That's what's real. That's what's important. So that brings me to my final point here that I want you to grasp. It's the point I've been making over the last few weeks. You have to decide to get serious about your relationship with Jesus. You and I have to get real. It's not, oh, I can't wait to we have services again. Well, we're going to have services again, but I'm going to be honest with you. Your Christianity, your spiritual life isn't based upon whether or not we have a service here. It's based upon your relationship with him personally. That's reality. Oh, I'm not doing good today. I didn't get to read the word. You know what? That's good. You didn't get to read the word and you feel like you should. But I'm going to be honest with you. That's not the basis of your relationship with Jesus. The basis is what he's done for you. And so you go the next time and you spend it with him and have him speak to you. When you're not with him, you miss being with him, talking with him, reading his word so he can talk to you. You miss being with God's people and seeing how God interacts in the lives of all of you together. But you know what? You and I have to decide to get serious about our relationship with Jesus. That's what's missing today. We have this concept of a ritualistic service for Christ, and many are rejecting that, and I understand why. But they're missing knowing what's really there because they don't understand. And that's what I'm hoping you will grasp as you grasp the five things that we've talked about here today about the grace of God in your life. Let me pray for you.